Hey guys, and welcome to the Stan Kerr Studios podcast, where working actors talk. Each episode, we sit down with different industry professionals who share their experiences, provide advice, and just talk about issues that are relevant today. This week, we have an epic roundtable event that is truly mind-blowing. Our studio director, Colleen Foy, chats with four insanely accomplished actors and SKS alum. They deep dive into their struggles in Hollywood, their successes, the power of saying no, and owning your worth. Nothing was off the table in this chat. So without further ado, I give to you Catherine Henne-Kim, Haley Marie Norman, Bayardo de Morgia, and Matthew Jason Swern. So Haley, Bay, Matt, and Catherine, I'm just going to pretend like there's no one else here, if that's okay. Um, it's just us. We all have coffee. It's fabulous. Um, uh, so I, I want uh, I want everyone to get to know who you are and sort of hear your voice. I want to start with something super duper basic. Um, so can you, would you mind taking a moment or two just to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, sort of where you're from, how long you've been in LA, whatever. Um, and I'd love to hear how you got your SAG card. Uh, before I moved to LA, I was like, how does that happen? And then after I moved to LA, I was like, how does that happen? So, uh, if, if you wouldn't mind starting with that, Haley, do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. Hi guys. Hi everyone. I see a couple of people on here that I know, which is so exciting. Um, uh, yeah. So I'm like one of the rare LA unicorns. I was born and raised in Los Angeles and I decided as a kid, like very early on that I wanted to be an actor. Um, and I, but I still had to like forge my own path. And luckily I had parents that were supportive and helped me, but because I didn't have like anyone in my immediate family who was in the business. So I actually got my SAG card when I was seven years old, which is so insane, but definitely made things easier. So like I, <laughs> you know, I worked a lot as a kid and then I went to a theater conservatory. And when I graduated from that theater conservatory, I was lucky that I was just able to like go back to my childhood agency for a little bit longer. Wow. Um, working. Yeah. Nuts. What, what was the gig, Haley? I don't, it must've been like a bunch of commercial. Like I did a bunch of commercials, a little bit of TV work, but mostly like print stuff and, and commercials when I was a kid. Yeah. And then my first role out of my theater conservatory was a co-star on Boston Public. And my one line was like asking if you could get pregnant on your period. <laughs> Great. Entertainment <laughs> and education, hand in the hand. The answer is yes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Awesome. Thanks, Haley. Uh, Bayardo? <laughs> what up, everybody? Uh, my name is Vallardo de Murguia, or B, if you want to call me B. Um, I was born in Tijuana, Mexico, raised in San Diego. Um, I didn't get into acting until I was in college. I was actually a football player at the University of San Diego. Um, and I just took a theater class as a general education and fell in love. And then that's how I got into acting and then moved to L.A. 12 years ago. Um, when I first moved to LA, uh, being a bilingual Spanish speaker, you know, I had commercials. So that was basically how I got my first SAG card. I've been playing Hispanic dads for like a long time, you know? Um, <laughs> so I got to play a Hispanic dad. Like this is, I joined SAG 2014. So I did a Honda commercial and then a, a Jack in the Box commercial shortly after. But speaking another language was definitely something that helped me. 
That is amazing. I love it. I thought you were going to say like, you auditioned for the same thing Haley did. Can you get pregnant yeah. on your period? That was that yeah. was supposed to be your first line on TV. Yeah, I think I was just on a veil for that. But that was on a veil. Yeah. Okay. Well, the fitting already happened. The show aired. Uh, damn it. Uh, thanks for being here, B. Uh, yeah, Catherine. Hi. Hello. Hi. Um, thanks for having me. I'm trying to think. I'm Catherine Kim. I was born in Queens, New York. I've been in LA for 12 years. Um, I was screen testing for the remake of Red Dawn and it was crazy because I moved the day before and I was uh, trying to sift through all my boxes just to pack something to come here for the screen test in LA. And it just seemed so stressful that I was like, okay, all the decision makers, the studios are in LA. If I wanna be serious about TV and film, I should be here. And so I moved and it was 12 years ago. Um, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my sad card, I'm trying to think, I know I got Taft Hartley because I was lucky enough to book my first commercial. Uh, it's funny. I had just graduated college and I had taken some acting class that was very much like, you need to figure out your type and how you're going to fit into this business. And I was like, I'm on it. Like, got it. Like I will be the best <laughs> student ever. So I finagle an, like a, a meeting with, a huge agency. I didn't realize I was going to see the commercial department. I had no idea there were even different departments at the time for different things. <laughs> and I was like, this is my time. This is what I want to go out for. And they were like, you need to relax. Um, <laughs> we will let you know if there's anything we think you're right for. And so I was like home at my parents' place in New Jersey. And I got a call that morning. And they're like, we have this random audition for a PSA uh, for the one campaign. And they were the backers of the live eight, eight concerts. Um, it was literally like they had every star you could imagine and everybody's online to vote. And they needed some like regular folk to be intermixed and sprinkled in with like Tom Brady, George Clooney, Alfre Woodward, Don Cheadle, Matt Damon, uh, Toby Keith. And so um, I went in, I, that's what I did in the commercial. I'm just standing in line and, uh, and I got Taft Hardly for that. Which was <laughs> that is amazing. Who did you stand right next to? So the crazy thing is in the spot, I think I'm next to like George Clooney and his dad. Amazing. But, um, when we shot it, Matt Damon's actually the only person who filmed in New York. Then they hopped up to Boston for Tom Brady and everyone else was in Los Angeles. So it was just a green screen. I barely knew what it was for. I just knew I was supposed to pretend, just, you know, waiting on this line with my newspaper and my work. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's really good. That's really good. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Thanks for being here, Catherine. Uh, Mr. Swern. Hello. Hello. Uh, I'm Matt. Nice to meet all of you guys. I moved to LA in 2007. So that's, that's 15 years now. And I moved there originally because I feel like I, I started in New York. I'm from Long Island. I feel like I had did everything that I could do in New York. Uh, I was working on some of the, the soap operas. 
I was I was into voiceover and the agency I was with, there were these older theatrical actors that were there that, you know, do theater and, and voiceover. And they were they just kept telling me, they're like, you know, you're young, you're good, look, you're good looking. What are you doing in New York? You need to get out to L.A. And I was bartending like five nights a week until four o'clock in the morning. And I like barely had the strength to, you know, to, to, to audition or do anything for my career during the day. And I was like, this, this is, and I also like was having a lot of fun because that could be a really fun life. And I realized that I just wasn't taking, you know, the craft seriously. So I, I decided to move to LA. I got my SAG card because I got it through my specialty skills. Uh, I was I was in the fire department in, in New York on Long Island and I was an EMT. And I had sent all of my headshots to all of the soap operas that were being filmed in New York. People were like, oh, you're a soap type. You should submit your headshots to soap operas. And this is back in the day when submitting your headshot meant, you know, writing a cover letter, stapling it to your headshot, writing out their, their address or, or getting labels. I actually got labels and then mailing it off to them and hoping that they opened it up and, and called you in for something. And all of them started calling me in to do extra work. And I was happy to do it. It was like 120, 130 bucks. Uh, and the rule with soaps at the time, I don't know if it's changed, is that soaps were on an after a contract. The unions hadn't been combined yet. And if you got a speaking part in an after a project, after you were an after for a year, you were eligible to join SAG. So I'd been doing extra work on some of them. It wasn't a speaking part. But then Bob Lambert, who cast uh, All My Children, who now actually works in L.A. at Days of Our Lives, he casts there under Marnie Seda. Seda? Seda? And uh, he called me up one day and he said, hey, Matthew, you know, I see on your resume that you're uh, an EMT. And I was like, yeah, he goes, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't know this when I when I called you in to do I did. I had done a monologue for him, but he's like, but we cast real EMTs because we just don't have time to like train actors uh, on how to use a stretcher and how to, how to use the, the 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 IV, where to hang the IV bags. And they also use us as like medical consultants. So we would consult on if something looks real or not, saves them money so they don't have to call in a real medical consultant and an EMT. So I got my SAG card by um, getting speaking roles on all my children as an EMT. And then after a year, I was able to join SAG. And then all the all the soap operas started calling me in to do to play EMTs. That's amazing. You yeah, have yeah. a whole EMT reel, right? Or paramedic reel? I used to. I don't use it anymore because then, and that's, I guess we can get into that later, but I, I really wanted to get out of being EMTs and paramedics. But back in the, in the time when I wanted more work, I was like, yeah, and I had taken all of the, the EMT, the paramedic roles that I played and I put them all together in one reel. I still have it somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I saw it before you, you wiped the internet clean of it. <laughs> before I wiped it clean. Yeah. Um, it only exists on the dark web if you're lucky enough to have a connection. Um, <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, that's actually kind of a perfect segue because I, uh, uh, you know, something that you had, that Catherine had said of like, we get taught to like, know your type, know your type. And blah, blah, blah. that always freaked me out. Bowers are playing uh, young Hispanic dads forever. Um, uh, how much have, I-, I found that like, I sort of had to almost like uh, I, I couldn't figure my type was not what other people saw I was. Um, mm. How do you like in the be- very beginning, how do you sort of find your or how did you find your grounding uh, sort of to show up and be like, this is who I am rather than I'm an actor. You can put me in any particular thing. How did it for anyone? Uh, uh, Catherine, uh, Bay, Matt or, or uh, Haley, how did how did you go about like sort of typing yourself? 
yourself if you did it all. Yeah, Haley. So this is like such an interesting topic for me because I'm, it's like a, it's, I, I just like, I almost, I don't even have an answer because it's something that I've been dealing with my whole life. Like I'm mixed race, I'm black and white. And so I spent my whole life kind of being told that I didn't fit into any box and not fitting into any box and having to carve my own path. And I found, you know, it's the same in the industry. Like the industry is, you know, kind of racist, which is a thing that we are only now recently talking about. But because I've been in this business since I was seven, I came up in like a time when people would, I mean, people still say whatever they want. Like I've had casting directors be like, you can't be a lawyer with your hair like that. Or what, like you have to straighten your hair. Like humiliating almost like walking me through the casting office being like, we need to get this girl a rubber band and, you know, kind of playing into these stereotypes of like, there was two things like, you know, they would want me to play into the stereotype of how they saw black women, you know, which was just very narrow minded. Um, and then also, uh, and then I would be told, you know, you know, so I went in for a lot of stuff that was considered open ethnicity, but I knew I could usually tell right on from like reading the role, like they're going to go with a white person for this. And so I was so often told that I was the ethnic option. Like, I cannot tell you how many, pin how many times I was pinned where they were like, you are the ethnic option because I was like the safe version of like, Ooh. you know, whatever they were looking for. Like it, it's insane. And that's still something that I, battle with. And I, and I think that that's okay. I think a lot of us don't fit into boxes and I think that's what makes us, you know, I think everyone's special, but I think that makes us special, but it is, it does kind of make this industry harder because I look at roles, like something like the, the sister role in Shit's Creek is like the type of role that like, I would love to play and I'm perfect for it. Unfortunately, we still don't see black women playing roles like that on TV. Um, and so I've, you know, I've also, I also am a writer. And so I just continue to like write my own projects. Um, but for me, yeah, I mean, it's still something that I, it's, I don't, some people don't fit in boxes. Some people mm -hmm. don't fit into, you know, these types. And does it make this business harder? Absolutely. A hundred percent. But that doesn't mean that you should stop doing it. And I wore my hair natural back when nobody was wearing their hair like this on TV. Like, I auditioned for like a huge series, you know, like maybe 13 years ago. And they were like, okay, that was great. Now, can you go into the bathroom and, and like put on a straight wig and do it for us? Um, but I just was always adamant that like, because I was teased so much as a kid for the way I wore my hair that I was, I didn't want other people to go through what I went through. And so I just wear my hair natural on television. So that's my long way of saying not all of us fit in boxes. And I definitely talk to my therapist about this all the time because my identity crisis has sort of shaped my entire life and is only amplified by kind of the narrow views that we have in this business, but that's okay. By my memoir <laughs> when I write it. <laughs> oh, Haley, thank you for saying all that. I just want to acknowledge how heavy that must be to sort of be sharing your art and, and that's such, such an innately vulnerable thing and know that you're sort of walking into a, a battlefield sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had therapy before this. It's an ongoing process. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you so much. God, thank you.
I mean, um, I know so much of what Haley is saying, and I can relate to it so deeply because I'm Korean American. And um, I've gotten more selective as the years have have gone on. But for me, it was always uh, I, I get I get thrown in for any type of Asian or Asian American role. And it doesn't matter if it's the like, you know, quirky best friend or the tech geek or the mistress or whatever. It's just if it's Asian, they just want to throw me in the pool and hope one of us swims, you know, and, um, and the way I've always navigated it is, uh, I don't know that any of us really fit into one box. Mm -hmm. Um, not if we're doing life right. And so I think you just have to figure out for yourself what feels good. If, if you decide you want to try everything, why not? I think you need to figure out what your strengths are whether it's in your appearance, in your abilities, um, whether it's comedy or drama, and then really try to start honing in on that. I think about somebody like Brad Pitt, who's very versatile and very talented, but one of the first roles that I think made him a breakout star is Thelma and Louise. And most of that was just because he was very good looking and very charming. And he probably knew those were strengths and that's why he got booked in that role. And then I think as you build more credits and more clout, you get you do get to be choosier about what you wanna do. Wow. And you're also allowed to say no, especially if it goes against, I don't know, your own values. If you feel like doing this role is just cringeworthy for xyz reason it really doesn't even matter what it is i almost would rather have a side job um while i fuel the dream instead of taking a bunch of jobs that make me feel icky every day yeah that's incredible uh uh yeah matt i'll go next um thank you for saying that uh catherine about about knowing what your strengths are because i was i was i was going to say something along those lines Early on, I was only getting casts for e for both EMTs, the soaps were, were, you know, EMTs, paramedics, but also drug dealers, uh, assholes, guys committing crimes, getting arrested. You know, like uh, I'd say two of the soaps called me in for EMTs. The other two would call me in for, you know, being the guy that supplied the main character with with the gun, being, being the shady guy that would go do something illegal because the other guy didn't want to get his hands dirty. So seeing how... The, how they saw me, the, you know, I saw myself a certain way, but seeing how they saw me, that kind of, uh, you know, a light went off in my head. I'm like, well, clearly there's something I'm doing or the way I'm, and I narrowed it down to the way I looked, you know, when I don't shave, I have stubble and stubble is always, you know, it's going to help you lean into playing those kind of characters. Um, I, I, I always had a deeper voice, um, which I think can be very uh, intimidating and I have resting asshole face. So I think <laughs> knowing all those things, when it came time to figure out, all right, what is my type? It was like, all right, if we're going to play these guys that are always committing crimes that are selling drugs that, okay, then we can, instead of taking all these different looks in a headshot, you know, I'm going to take my headshot with, with glasses and a suit. I'm going to take this headshot, um, you know, in a tuxedo, I'm like, nah, I could just take a bunch of headshots where I kind of look like a dick, all different white collar crime, blue collar crime. And then when you're in class and you, you're going to see very quickly, there are going to be scenes that you excel at and scenes that you struggle with. And you take what you excel at and then you start building a brand based on that. 
I love that. Yeah. Kristen and I were talking about this earlier. You play such baddies and you're the sweetest at like, you're like stroking your dog on the side, you know, your rescue dog. Um, <laughs> uh, Matt, can you talk about That's Neo? Uh, hi, Neo. When you talked about shaving or can you talk about deciding to shave your head and the looks that went into it? I know that it didn't quite. Yeah. Go ahead. So I always, um, I don't know if there's like a psychological, t- the, the closest term I could think of for when you're like unhappy with the part of your body is called like body dysmorphic Dysmorphia. disorder, I think. Yeah. And I, I always just hated my hair. I, I never got it to go the way I wanted it to go. I had, I always had like a, you know, I'm, I'm an Eastern European Jew and our hair tends to like throw out and frizz out a lot. And I just never was able to get it to anything that I thought looked good. You know, the, the, the classic handsome leading males that I would have love to play. Just my hair wasn't doing that. So I always tried to find an excuse to, uh, to shave it. And um, I think, I guess after I shaved it, I took a a bunch of headshots and it brought out, they brought out my eye. You know, when you shave your head, your, your facial features are a little bit more, um, are a little bit more forward. They, they, it brings it out a little bit more. So maybe it, it brought out my eyes a little bit more, my higher cheekbone, my, my cheekbones, you could see the, the, the lines in my face, all of that seemed to become a little bit more um, exaggerated once I shaved my head. And because my hair was thinning out anyway, I was like, no, you know what, we can, we can keep doing this. But, you know, based on the, on the role, do I want to shave it completely bald like I do now? Or do I want to let it grow a little bit and make it look like I'm a little bit of a slob. I do like take that into consideration sometimes depending on, on, on what the role is. Amazing. 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 Uh, what about you, Bay? Uh, and, and have, has your tattoos, have you ever, I was always told like, don't tattoo yourself. Like where don't, don't get your nails done. Like be minimal, like, so they can do anything with you. And it, it sometimes stunts, I feel like expression of personality, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I uh, as I've gone as I have gone on and what I've experienced is that um, exactly what we were talking about, like finding your strengths, finding what you can do. It's always talked about your personal essence um, and what you can bring as far as your essence into these characters. I think as I've gone on, because being a zero kind of first generation Mexican, you know, American coming into the U.S. Initially, I just had to assimilate to what I thought they wanted, what I thought the show wants from me what I think this is what they need for me. But as you, as you kind of get more experience, it becomes a matter of like, yeah, I, as an acting, you know, ability, I can play all these different characters, but there's mom- there's parts of the characters that are going to be me. And this is the work that I believe I can do for you. So like with tattoos, with who I am, with what I do, I've gotten a little bit more confident in that aspect. Um, in f- having the confidence and the truth to what I can bring to, you know, the character. Um, but it's become more of like, it's okay to say no. Sometimes there will be opportunities in auditions where it just doesn't make sense to you. And it's okay to be like, yeah, I don't need to do an accent because that's not me, you know, yeah. or, you know, uh, I get, I get what you wrote for this character, but honestly, it's not me because I find truth and I believe in what I can do here, what I think these ideas are, and then just bringing that to the table. And if it doesn't work out, you'll have more confidence in being like, you know what, I did what I believed was going on. I believe I did what I believed I could have brought and what could have happened. It didn't work out my way, it's totally fine. But I have the confidence now to like do my own thing through that. Um, I've, 
it was a struggle for me initially because at first I'd be like, you know, I just want to work. You want me to, do you want me to sound like my dad? Okay, let's do that. Let's do this, you know? But now it's like, you know, I, I'm being more confident in my own shoes and then just being like, nah, this is what I'm going to bring to the table if it works out. It does. Cool. If it doesn't, no. But, you know, if the story doesn't make sense for me to sound like my dad, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. You know, sorry. You can find someone else. That is amazing. I have to be very honest. I'm struck by how how inspired and strong, how inspired I am and how strong you all are uh, showing up and sharing what you've been through. Um, uh, I think with another uh, uh, part of why I wanted such amazing people here is uh, we're not getting sort of the canned answer of like, well, I found that in the business world, I'm X, Y, Z. I got my headshot and I let Hollywood typecast me. Uh, so I appreciate it so, so much. Um, so Bayard is talking about like, if, if this doesn't feel right, I'm not going to do it. Catherine talked about saying no to certain projects. Um, uh, how do you guys work on a character or a scene when you feel like I'm, I'm not what they're looking for, for this, or like, I know the type that they're going to go for, but it doesn't cross my boundaries. Maybe I can just show them what I do and have fun. How do you, how do you sort of like, when does your inner compass, how does it guide you with that? Yeah. Kaylee. So I tend to have really busy pilot seasons and sometimes if there's, cause at this point it's like, I've been doing this for so long and the industry is, there's definitely a formula to it. And so I think, you know, you might not be right a hundred percent of the time, but like my instincts are strong enough that I will go, I know that I'm not going to get this, you know? Um, and so if I'm really busy with a pilot season and, and stuff that I want to do, or that I feel more right for, or even, you know, a writing deadline that I have, even if it's not an audition, sometimes I just won't do those. And sometimes I will tell my team like, oh, I'm, I'm not right for this because of X, Y, and Z. And they, you know, cause they also, your team has more information than you have. So sometimes they might be like, actually they are going younger on this role or they do want, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and so sometimes when that happens, I will still do the tape. Um, or if I have the time, I'll do the tape. Like if, you know, if it was like a slower week for me, I'll be, you know, I'll just do it because why not? But when I am really busy, I do pick and choose. And at this point, I'm like pretty much never wrong about, about, you know, this is what they're not going to, this is what they're not going to do. So it just depends on what my, what my time, time, what's going on in my life. Haley, how do you, I love that. Put that on a t-shirt. How do you, um, how do you hone your, your instincts then? Um, because I think sometimes I'm like, uh, my instincts, my, what I'm feeling are instincts are actually just baggage. Oh as, as actually a little bit like self-sabotage. It's a little bit imposter syndrome. I'm not right for this because I'm more of the girl in the shadows kind of thing. You, you know what I mean? Uh, how do you sort of like hone your instincts? So I have a big um, like spiritual life outside of my business. And I don't mean in a religious sense, but I do mean like I do a lot of meditation, a lot of just going outside for a walk and like turning my inner, my compass inward and narrowing my field of energy, because it's so easy to be like, if you think about it, it's like, you're thinking about this person you're dating, you're thinking about a friend, you're thinking about audition, you're thinking about acting. And sometimes I just like have to go, wait a second, let me just like make my field of energy really small, or even just like 
hopping on my Peloton and, you know, or even again, like I said, going for a walk, I'll hear those inner voices. And I've just learned over time that those voices have truly never led me astray. So I suggest too, it's like, you have to have a life outside of this and you have to absolutely do things that are nourishing for you. And, um, and to me, that means like having a really strong support system, like having good people in your life, like have good friends. And that was one of the first things that I loved about Stan Kerr studios was when I was in other acting classes, I always felt that there was like, kind of like a competition or like weird energy between the actors or the acting coaches were the type of acting coaches that just wanted us to like feel bad about ourselves. Like I had acting coaches that would like insist that we all like bring them snacks and like they were the God of the class and blah, blah. But I love Stan Kerr Studios because it just felt like we were all so supportive of each other. And I was like, I can tell people when I have callbacks and they're going to root for me. And, you know, I just remember Stan like he, you know, him going like Haley and like telling everybody like what was going on. And so some of my best friends, some of my support systems are still people that I met here. And so I think, it, you know, just to sum it up, like really rooting yourself in the important things in life and nourishing your soul and who you are as an individual. And again, like being in, you know, being in therapy and just, yeah, learning to separate, <laughs> like, actually this is like trauma and fear. And if you turn mm. inward and you listen to your inner compass, I think it's easier to decide this is actually just fear, you know? Incredible. Yeah. Hey. I used to have Thank the problem of like, if I was in a waiting room, I used to cast it in my head. So then if I saw another actor there that I recognized or did something, I'd be like, fuck, man, this dude's here. Fuck, I'm not going to get this shit, you know, or something like that. And it was like, a battle that I had within myself that was really a problem because like, you know, instead of doing that, I should believe in my work, believe in my ability. And once I start doing that, it became more of like, nah, fuck that. I belong here. Let's do it. We're in the same boat. Let's say, you know, it became a healthy competition instead of just a competition with myself. Um, and then you start realize that like, you know, uh, that, I used to say, or I still do sometimes say that there's people that I've been chasing, right? That there's people when I started that were up here. And then I got to that level and then some people disappeared, but the other people that I, there's a few that now are superstars doing this or doing that. And I used to be, believe that I was always kept like trying to chase all these people when in reality, it's like, we're all on the same. They're thinking that about me. They're thinking about that about you. Like they're, we're all peers within the same category, kind of just working towards our dreams and working towards telling these stories and so once I got to that point where I just had the confidence in myself to be like I belong here I believe in my work I believe in what I'm going to do that was just such a relief for me so then it wouldn't be so much casting it in my head or feeling like someone else's success is going to affect me it's like no we're all being successful it's great but also surround you know surround yourself with people that keep you influenced and keep you inspired and keep you working hard and that's always going to ground you as well. But but it, it took me it could, took me a good minute to like get out of that. And I still sometimes will be competitive within myself enough to re remind myself to like take a breath, shut the fuck up, and do your work. You know, so. <laughs> that's my mantra. Uh, 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 and one of the jobs that you booked uh, the series regular regular role, tiny pretty things. Uh, what was your reaction when you got the audition, Bay? <laughs> when I got that audition, uh, I remember Gabby was recording me and she's like, what's this for? I was like, some fucking CW show that's not going to cast me. I don't know, some teen show, whatever. Because again, I cast myself out of it. 
because it's like a teen show, whatever. And then as soon as I did the first take, Gabby was like, I think you're pretty good for this. And I'm like, nah, whatever, fuck it, cool. And then, but again, like once I started gaining more confidence and, you know, having those conversations and it's like, all right, fuck it, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> That's amazing. She's smart. You should probably marry her. Yeah. Okay, well. great. Amazing. <laughs> Matt. That tribe, you know, everyone's talked about their their tribe. You know, I've been I've been doing it 20 years now. And the one best piece of advice I, I can give to anyone is to to have your tribe. It could be more than one tribe. And 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 your tribe of actors, and my tribe is is all Stan Kirsch actors, you know. Um it shouldn't be family members, it shouldn't be friends <laughs> outside of the business, because even though they love you and they support you they're never really going to understand what they're not going to understand what it's like to lose that job. They're not going to under, you know, when you text your friends, I didn't get it. They will understand that to you, like a relative just died and they're not going to, you don't need people to tell you, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Be positive. You don't need to hear that. They're like, you know what? I, you have a right to feel the way that you're feeling. I understand why you're feeling that way. And, you know, what can I do to, to, to make you feel better or anything? There was, there was a, I was, I was very down in November, long story why about a, about a job. And I jokingly texted uh, a group of my friends, why, why I was down, what I was going through. I was like, ah, this thing I, I, you know, I I had forgotten about it. And then I just saw it on TV and I saw who they cast and it didn't bother me. And now it's, now I'm freaking miserable. Anyway, uh, I was in New York. If I go jump off the Brooklyn Bridge right now, um, would one of you come over and get Neo and take him to my parents and let them know what happened? And one guy was like, yeah, yeah, I got you. You want to do that? Don't worry. I got you. I'll take care of Neo. And it was a very dark, dark joke. But you need that tribe that you can make those dark jokes to. So because they understand, they're like, you know, I don't I know why you feel that way. I get it because we've all been there. Um yeah, you need you need to have your people, you need to have your support system, and they should all be fellow actors. To address um, the other issue, uh, imposter syndrome, I, I I still get it. You know, I always uh, I never graduated college. I never got like a theater degree. And whenever I'm on set, I know that most of the people there probably have you know have had better training and better schooling than I do. But I just try to remind myself. I'm like, well, I'm. I still got cast. I'm here for a reason. So just try to have fun. <laughs> but it never really goes away. I still always feel like I, I don't entirely belong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have a gut feeling that uh, everyone feels that to a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, maybe not those like psychopath fringe actors, you know? Uh, the, yeah, the ones. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that, Matt. You are, you are part of my tribe for sure. And you mine. I once, Bayardo uh, was talking about the waiting room. I once uh, went to a callback. There's a little, there's a side rant, but it's a funny story. I went to a callback for a, uh, for a James Gray directed film that Brad Pitt starred in. And Bayardo, Bayardo knows where this is going. And I had a callback for it. The, I hadn't gotten an audition for a while. This is a couple of years ago. And then I got this audition for Latino male. So I go in and I do the audition and then in the callback and I was already pissed off because I was like in L.A., like me, Latino, Latino male, like, come on. And it was 
however many days after I got a callback and there was one other name on the callback list, Bayardo. And as soon as I saw his name, I was like, yeah, no shit. Like what the, like what the fuck am I even doing here? And uh, I, I immediately decided that Bayardo is going to get this job, which he did. And I'm not, and I'm not going to get it. So I can just go in and have fun. And I think when you, and I, and I actually had a, a great time, me and James Gray ended up hitting it off. And uh, whenever I get auditions that I know I'm not going to get, to me, I, those are my favorite types of auditions because I truly feel like I have nothing to lose. And I just give myself permission to, to really, I know I'm not going to get the job. So just have fun and don't stress about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've ended up like, you know, and you'd be surprised when you, you know, you're not going to get the job and all of a sudden you, you book it. That's like a crazy, awesome surprise, which has happened sometimes too. Instead yeah. of telling yourself that you shouldn't even audition because you're not right for it. Just throw it away and have fun. I think that's where some of the best acting comes. Uh, I, I had a couple, uh, un, unlike Haley, I don't go, I don't, I'm not, I don't go out for pilots. I'm more sort of like sneak in as the sad guest star and stay around for a season. Um, uh, um, so when I do get pilot, I just, I feel like, woohoo, I can play. It's some of my like, be- like best favorite work when I feel like it's consequence free. Um, and it's always nice to be like, okay, well, if I'm able to sort of produce that kind of work, maybe I can have that mentality when it's a part that feels almost like it's mine to lose. Um, uh, yeah, Catherine, you had mentioned saying no to roles. Um, when did, was it scary to first, but the first time you said no to a role or to an audition or, um, Yes, because the people pleaser in me just always wants to say yes to everything because sometimes it's hard not to think in scarcity and think, well, if I say no this time, are they not going to send me something else next time? But I always have a reason why I say no. Um, even if it's that I can't make it happen well in the time frame I'm allotted. Um, because sometimes the same day, like next day appointments, they're hard. And I personally am not the kind of actor that can pick something up and have it ready to go in the next hour. Um, and I'd rather do something well than throw in something like, you know, quantity over quality, I guess. Um, and I think, again, there is a lot of power in saying no, as long as you're not just saying no arbitrarily or, you know, all the time. Um, I think also to piggyback on what uh what everyone else has been saying i think it's so easy in this job because it's not like you punch in and punch out and you're at the office from nine to five it's very easy for this job to just become your entire life and i think really to emphasize what haley and matt were both saying it's so important to have life outside of this um whatever that means for you maybe it means traveling maybe it means having i don't know a side hobby I think community is really important. And um, I think when I was starting out, I saw some actors sometimes wouldn't want to share what they're auditioning for because I think sometimes it's hard to admit that you really want something because if it doesn't happen, then maybe that fall feels that much greater. But I was listening to Brene Brown talk recently about her her latest book. And I I mean, I love her for so many reasons. Um, Atlas of the Heart. And she was talking about like, if you really think about that though, what are we saying? That you're gonna live a life filled with low expectations so that 
the fall is a little bit softer. God, that seems so shitty. And, you know, for me right now, I, I'm, I'm literally doing my dream job. Like I, I couldn't have dreamed of a better role or better people to work with right now. Like, I, I mean, I can't even say enough amazing things. And, um, and two things, uh, or maybe three things. First of all, I didn't know going in that I was not the choice. They looked all over the world for this part. It came down to six of us, four of us in LA, one girl in New Zealand and one in Korea. And I was not the favored one because of whatever specific vision they had for this role, at least my co-star who's also an EP. And I'm not supposed to be privy to this information. <laughs> But I didn't know that. And for some weird reason, when I get up to that like testing chemistry read phase, for some reason in my head, and thank goodness that I'm this, this like, you know, delusional, I always think it's mine to lose. Like there couldn't possibly be anybody else who's going to do this role as well as I'm going to. <laughs> so I had no idea that I was not the favored one. And it was only after I did my chemistry read and walked out that they were like, that's our girl. And they still weren't 100% sure. So we were asked the final two of us to do a coffee with, um, with the, I probably shouldn't be saying any of this, uh, with the showrunner and the director and the male lead. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I was going to say something else, which I've now forgotten, but just to piggyback of, <laughs> sorry, of what Matt was saying, he was saying that sometimes he still feels that imposter syndrome. I'm on the other spectrum. I feel it that much greater because of the opportunity I'm given. I don't think I've ever had imposter syndrome as loud and blaring as it is right now. And I'm just trying to be gentle with myself. I saw Esther write something about being kind to ourselves. My God, it's like when they say we're our harshest critics, I know that rings so deeply for me. And I feel this pressure. I'm going to be the female lead of a primetime network show. And I feel so much pressure to be a good female lead, to set a good example as a leader on set to be a good female actress, to be a really good Asian American actress and represent my people. Like there is so much imposter syndrome. And for me, it's just like, okay, okay, I hear you, but I'm trying really hard to let the other voice that says, you've got this. I have an entire community, an entire army of support around me and I'm gonna figure it out because I'm not alone doing it. That's incredible. And I cannot wait to see you in this show, Catherine. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. Go, Haley. Yeah. Can I, yeah. I just want to add one quick thing that like my life changed so much, not only my inner life and my level of happiness, but my career changed so much when I really learned to be like happy for other people around me and their successes. Mm -hmm. Like there's something weird in this business where like we somehow internalize like maybe it's not just not in this business, but in this world, like we somehow internalize other people's happiness or success is like a lack of ours. And that's so not true. My, my manager said something to me um, that was just really about like how you raise your vibrations when you're happy for other people. And you know that then you'll get there too. And you almost have this guiding light. And like that just totally switched something for me in my brain. Cause I have a lot of 
really like I'm surrounded by like highly successful people. And when I went through a time where I felt like I wasn't working as much or whatever, um, once I switched that mentality to like, I mean, like a genuine happiness for the people around me and what they were doing, um, it totally changed my life. Not only do I now feel so much happier, but like I can feel how my career has changed. And then like, I'm so inspired. Like I'm literally surrounded by like incredibly successful people doing what they love. And, and when you're like surrounded by badasses, you're like, dude, I'm fucking surrounded by badasses. I'm sorry for all of you. This is amazing. Um, and so to me, that's a key too. even in everything. Like I have a friend who's um single and she like saw these these people like kissing and she was like oh if I see another happy couple and I'm like dude like be happy for them like it's hard to find love like these people found love like so it's just let's just be happy for each other it sounds like like such a like canned corny Miss America answer but like <laughs> energetically and spiritually it really is the answer to so many things Oh, I love that. I think that's why we start at the beginning of class with like any wins from the week, uh, because it's nice to say, uh, well, um, uh, I had a great audition and I didn't hear anything back, um, but I, I was so proud of my work. My reps liked it and I did it within the time frame, which was kind of crazy. And to have other people uh, sort of support the shit out of you. Otherwise, we're just doing it alone in our apartments and uh, only our reader and our manager ever sees uh, it or hears about it. Even if casting liked it, it's so isolating. So to be able to share that stuff. Uh, I appreciate that so much, Haley. Well, you know... I like, I completely agree with Haley. And listen, the funny thing is when I left my chemistry read and studio test, I saw a girl that I knew. So I just automatically, she was trying to park. So I was like, oh, why don't you just take my parking spot? By the way, this is who's in the room. So, you know, I, I mean, I would have done that regardless. I also didn't know and would find out later that she was the favored one um, for the role. Not that I would. Interesting. <laughs> I think it, it goes back to figure out who you are in this world and who you want to be. And like Haley was saying, living in a higher vibration, regardless of what's being thrown at you, which obviously is sometimes easier to, to say than do. But for me, I think, I think you can be happy for other people's successes because I don't think uh, their success necessarily takes away from yours. But I think you're also allowed to be really sad if you don't get that opportunity that you've really, really been wanting to. I think it's okay to admit, like, I'm so happy for that person and I can't wait till it's me at that table. But right now, like, God, I really want that too. And it really just fucking sucks that I don't have it. Mm -hmm. And I think the last couple of years are teaching me that life is so messy. And for some odd reason, maybe it's just easier to try to make it one thing or another, but you can let more than one thing exist at the same time. I think actually maybe that's what being a good adult is. It's like, like expanding your capacity to let more than one thing exist at the same time. Yeah. See, so you can hold both of those to be true. I'm so thrilled for that person. They're going to crush it. And also um, I might need to cry in the fetal position for a good hour. So, yeah, <laughs> I always, I always give myself like 24 hours. It's like for the losses, it's like, give yourself 24 hours, cry, go to a boxing gym. I punch stuff. It's fine. Get it out, out of the system. And the next day is a beautiful day. It's going to be great. You know, um, that's it. Like, and you'll also learn that there's so much, so many variables that are still outside of our control. Like I even, 
through every audition, through every opportunity, through everything that I go through, whether or not I get it, I still look back and be like, what can I take this from? What can I take from this? What can I work on? Right. So if it was an in-person audition, what went well, what went wrong, what can I work on? And then take that to the next opportunity. And sometimes like, even if I didn't get the role and then I'll see who did, I might even watch their work because I'm competitive like that. But then I'll watch it and be like, oh, that was great. Cool. Whatever. I understand this is completely outside of my control. But what went right for me in my moment when I was working towards it, you know, and yeah. and then that made makes it easier for you to let go slowly as you go and like whatever. Um, but it's like it's totally fine. Give yourself 24 hours. It's all good. But there's a lot of shit that we can't control and then there's shit that we can't control. And that's what we got to focus on. Mm -hmm. I love that. Sometimes when shifting into like, I can't control that, but I can't control this. I'm like, I will control the shit out of the things that I can control. And it's like this awful pendulum swing. Uh, but what I'm hearing is like release. Yeah. Haley. Oh no, I'm just agreeing. I'm going. To oh, okay. Great. Awesome. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize I was, it took me a long time to realize that I'm like control freak. Like me too. It, it really did. It took me, yeah, it took a <laughs> lot of inner work for me to be like, wake up one day and be like, oh my God, I'm trying to control every situation in my life. And we don't have control. And there's like power in letting go, ongoing learn, learning that on an ongoing process. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Swern, what do you do in the disappointments? Recently started going shopping. Oh, oh my God. Like we're all going to be like need a 12-step shopaholic group now, okay? Online shopping, in person, tell us everything, Matt. I, I where I'm in New York, I'm near a, uh, I discovered Nordstrom Rack, which has like, I didn't know about this until a year ago. They have just like these amazing stuff that was like in fashion a year ago. So, so I mean, and, and then now it's out of fashion. I'm like, fuck, fuck a college, like a blue collared shirt. When does that ever go out of fashion? So you get like these really like, thank you, Annie Donahue. Nordstrom Rack is the best. And uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I used to. So, so when I celebrate a victory, I usually take myself out to dinner. I'm like a big, like food guy. When I don't book something, I go shopping at like Nordstrom Rack or something, but it always involves spending money. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I love that because I think it's so important. Like self-care is so important. And Matt, like that's your way of taking care of yourself regardless, right? Like you have your things. I think it's so important to do that. Whether it's, I don't know, a fun dinner, shopping, like a massage, getting your nails done, seeing your people, like whatever. I love that. Yeah. And the other big thing. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, please, please. And the other thing is just is is getting out of town. I is um and whether that's going away for a weekend, um, going down to Mexico for a little bit. You know, my family's in New York, so I sometimes I just feel like I need to go to New York for a little bit for a couple of weeks and and chill. Um, you know, L.A. can man, L.A. can be crushing because there's just so, there's a lot of there's a lot of as many dreams are made there there's even more dreams that are broken there um and it's it's good to just unplug and, and leave that behind sometimes so i felt like just getting it even just going a big bear for a couple of days whatever you can do to just get out of town especially these days because auditions are remote you don't even have to worry about missing auditions anymore yeah isn't that amazing um 
Uh, oh wait, shoot. I lost my train of thought because another train came and knocked it so off. Sorry. Um, oh, no, that's okay. I was going to say, uh, last night in class, someone said, he was like, I got released from a veil. So every time I do that, my wife and I open up a bottle of wine. Every time I get released from a veil, I open up a bottle of wine just to sort of say like, we got so close and we still have to celebrate this. Um, uh, yeah, I love that. So has, so now that things are uh, remote, casting is all remote, you can sort of uh, pop up to, to Big Bear in Mexico or New York, hang for a little bit. Um, uh, some of the recent things that y'all have booked, uh, they've all been with the exception of perhaps like a chemistry read and a coffee with the producer and showrunner have been all virtual, right? Uh, Haley was, was uh, Keenan virtual? So, okay, but I'm gonna say a couple things really fast. So first of all, I'm going to um, Hawaii in July and I'm like already told my team, I'm like, do, do not send me any auditions because I've called out before and it's like, I still get the auditions and then I get that like FOMO feeling where I'm like, shit, this is like a huge project and I would be right for it, blah, blah, blah. But I also believe that like what's meant to be yours will be yours. And so a couple jobs that I had or a couple auditions that I had to turn down during pilot season because I was so right for other stuff. And I was like, I literally do not have the time to do this audition. Ended up like circling back like a month or two later, you know? So I'm like, I'm allowed to, because I, I have taken my setup and done auditions on like every vacation I've ever had. And again, do not forget, I've literally been doing this since I was seven. So I've spent my entire life being on call and I can feel Ooh. like the take that, yeah, literally I've spent my entire life being on call and I can feel the take, the, the, the toll that that takes on my nervous system. I mean, I recently had like a best friend who died and I told my team I wasn't available and I got an audition that same day and I just was like, fuck it, I'll go. You know, like I've not allowed myself to have any downtime. I've been, I, I, it's just like, it's been a lot. And so it was really important to me because of the year I've had and a lot of the stuff that I have going on that like, I want to go to Hawaii and I want to have a really good time no matter what. And so I told my team, I was very clear, do not send me any auditions while I'm in Hawaii, I'm not going to do them. And if something great does come up during that time, they can do it. I can do it when I get back, if, you know, if it's meant to be, or I just went on a trip to um, New York and it was really important. Import I would just went for like two days and it was really important for me to be present there. And I got an audition that was due Friday morning. And I was, and I was like, can I have it by Monday? And they were, I was told the producers wanted to look at it over the weekend. And so I thought about what to do. And I was with someone who's like a high level like showrunner and, you know, knows that side of it. And he was like, just, you know, tell them you'll have it Saturday morning because this is how the other people think. Like actors tend to be thirsty. Like when you're on the other side of it and you're showrunners and you're writers or whatever, they're not thirsty in the same way that like actors are. And I don't mean that as, as a diss, but it's true. Even if you look at the way, I love our union and I love the way it protects us. But even if you look at the mentality of our union versus other unions, it's completely, it's like completely different. And so I just told my team, I was like, I can, I land at one o'clock. I'll have this tape for you guys by the afternoon and just give casting and the producers a heads up that that's when they'll have my tape. And it was perfect. I didn't have to spend all this time in my expensive New York hotel room putting a setup in, you know? So, but again, that depends. There's other trips I'll, I'll take when I'm like happy to do a self tape or whatever that, and then what was your question? Oh, okay. So Keen and I actually got really lucky and it was an offer. And so I'll tell you guys what happened. Yes. I know. Right. They offered me a guest star and the guest star 
was the, a very similar type of role to the type of role I've played so many times. And, but I wanted to do it because Keenan is literally, it was like my favorite show. I loved it. I was such a big fan of everyone on it and I really wanted to do it. So I was like, I'll do this guest star. But then once I got there, or maybe it started a little bit before, but be I was like, because I've played a similar character to this so many times, I want to do something different. I want to play this character like kind of weird because I am like a weirdo, but I play a lot of like pretty girls, girlfriends, you know, that sort of thing. And so I did, I just did like a, not only did I do an entirely different take on it, but I started like improvising this like whole bit that, and I know we have to be careful about improvising on sets or whatever, but like, I knew, I knew like everyone on the set and um, it, I started like improvising this bit in my close-up that they thought was like so funny. Like the producers and everyone were coming up to the showrunner. They were like, that is so funny because I showed them that I can be funny and that I can like make a role so much more than what's on the page. Um, and they were, the showrunner was like, we have to have you back. Like we have to have you back. And I, and I was like, thank you so much. This is like my favorite show. I'm so happy to be here. But I also, you know, people say a lot of things in this business. So like I wasn't holding my breath and sure enough, I got a call that they wanted to make me a series. I mean, uh, that, that, that they wanted to have me record. So they literally went back and rewrote the whole season to give Keenan a girlfriend, which is like a huge change to the storyline just because they liked the work that I did. And so then that also shows the casting director. Oh, okay. So I'll wrap it up by saying the relationships that you have again are so important because the people who mentioned me even for that initial offer were a friend of mine that I just knew from UCB and we have a similar background and we were like, let's write together. Let's create together. He was my, he's my friend. And then his career started to soar. And then he was a writer on the show. Um, the casting directors, I, they bring me in all the time. I always do good work for them. I know what they like. They mentioned me because they knew that I would deliver. And then the, the showrunner or this, yeah, the co-showrunner, I think it was, I had worked with him on something like maybe 15 years ago and just kept in touch with him in a genuine way on Facebook. I think sometimes when you like check in or, you know, some of these people can maybe see that it's like not trans, not like genuine or something, but like I had a genuine connection with this guy. And so they were all just like, oh, Haley would be perfect for this. And it's because these are just people I've been in this business for so long. They're my friends. Um, and then, and then I'll, oh, wait, one more thing to say. So my AP bio, I recurred on AP bio, and this is just a test. Like you do not have, like, do not do a thousand takes of your tape. Like you do not need to do that. I have a whole setup in my, like, I'm lucky I have a whole other room with my backdrop and all my equipment and whatever. But like, if my dog barks in the background or if something happens, like it's, like literally like just give yourself like two takes like you do not drive yourself crazy doing it in my ap bio tape the audio cut out for like a for a little bit in the beginning of the second scene and i just was like i do not have time to do this again and i also really liked that take and so i sent in a tape where first of all you could like see part of my bra in it I was like, oh, I thought I was like tighter than I was. Like you could see part of my bra in it. And then the second scene, the audio cut out. And as soon as I showed up on the lot, I saw the director and he was like, your tape was amazing. It was so good. So also again, it's like, just be gentle on yourself. Don't drive yourself crazy. Do not spend hours on your self tapes. Do not do it. Don't do it. I think, I think that everyone oh, needed to. 
Everyone needs to hear that. Thank you. Yes, Catherine. I was also going to say, same, like I've been on vacation before. I've gone on solo vacations before where I've made it clear I want to be booked out for these dates and I've still had auditions come in and I'm like, no, but you know, I'm traveling by myself. Like, who do you think I'm going to get off the street now to record me (laughs) in France? Like if they could even speak English, I'm so confused. Um, And the tricky thing is, again, if you are always saying yes, and then you start setting up good boundaries for yourself and you start saying no, it's like when you start dating someone and you didn't make it clear that something was important to you. And six months later, you're like, babe, that thing is actually really, (laughs) you're so confused. It's that it's like, just because you set up boundaries doesn't mean they're going to be honored, which I think is the control freak in me that I, I like forget. It's like, no, but it was so hard for me to set up this boundary. Why didn't you give me the perfect response? <laughs> um, but again, like Haley was saying, like for me right now, I literally am getting texts because we are doing, we did our studio test for the pilot yesterday and we're going to do a network test today, which as I'm learning means the studio and the network separately will hire a third party company to do like a a test of viewing. And they hire maybe like 150 people across the country to now view our pilot and give critique on it. And so they got the critique from the studio test yesterday and all the notes, and they want me to do a temp uh, ADR for the network test before it happens tonight. And I'm like, no, but I'm in the middle of something. I was like, I can get it to you in the next two hours. Does that work? And I'll always ask because I think if you don't ask and you just always say yes, then it comes out of sacrifice to you and maybe a vacation or to this Zoom talk or whatever it is. And, and you try to make things work in a reasonable time frame. Um, but I was literally in Mexico up until yesterday night and I made it clear I'm not going to work. I went for a long weekend. And it's that actor's curse. The second you say you're, you're going to be gone, then you get that audition. You get all these things. And it just, we need rest too. And that's okay. Like, mm, I love that. And if your first rep, because uh, uh, you all are sort of like these like glowing, amazing, expanded, uh, beautifully grown humans. But in, in the beginning, babe, like sort of baby actors, my, my baby actor self was so afraid to say anything to my reps. I still sometimes have that fear, but if they come back, if you're like, I can get it to you within the next two hours, is that okay? And they're like, no, we need it now. That doesn't feel good. Like it physically does not feel good. Emotionally, it'll sort of linger for a while. How do you just like get up and do it, do it again the next time boundaries are crossed? You just, you just say the thing. Yes. You just keep setting up the boundaries that feel good for you. As long as I think you do it in a respectful, kind way, what else can you do? Like, you know, the other alternative is you just keep saying yes to stuff at a sacrifice to yourself. That's not fun either. Um, And you're not responsible for other people's reactions ever. You're not responsible for other people's reactions to your boundaries that's about them. It's not about you. Um, and I would encourage anyone who, if you feel like your team doesn't support you hundred percent to maybe seek out other teams, you know, and other people. And if you're in a position where you're like, I'm newer, or I haven't worked that much, you would want to work with me, you know, just send that intention out to the world and trust that it'll, 
that it'll come back because I've I've learned kind of the hard way that like you need a team that has your back a hundred percent and listens to you and supports you because it can actually end up being like really detrimental if you don't have that for reasons that you wouldn't even imagine. So make sure that your team respects you and your boundaries. And again, like do it in a polite, nice way, but you know, at the end of the day, this is a business and this is a, and I know this too, from like my writing side of it, like I would show up when I, you know, when I was like pitching my shows to networks thinking like, if I show them like super cute and quirky and like can be the lead of this television show I created, like, you know, then they'll want to buy my show. It's like creativity and all that stuff is like a very small portion of it. This business is about money and and the people who are running it are sharks. They're not artists, they're sharks. This is like a multi-billion dollar industry. Like, I don't know how much this business is worth, but at the end of the day, it's about money and you're dealing with people who are really good business people. So it's important to remember too, that not only are you an artist, but you're a business person. And so operate as one. You got to remember that you are the CEO of your business, your agents, your managers, they are employees who work for you. And I understand when you're very, very, very new, you feel like uh, that you need them more than they need you. And that's probably true because, you know, you if you don't get auditions, you're, you're not going to work. At some point, though, you have to realize that, that they do work for you and they have to respect creative decisions that you make. There was when I was not doing co-stars anymore. I had had a conversation with the agent multiple times and she submitted me for some role on some show for the role of like man one. It wasn't even like a name co-star and it was one line. And I responded, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this. Um, and I, and I turned the audition down and I hit up my manager after that, because I knew this agent, even though I said, I'm not going to do it. She was probably going to confirm me anyway with casting so I hit up the manager and I said, would you check with casting to see if she's confirmed me for this audition? And she did. And I immediately sent her an email and fired her. And you have to make those decisions when someone is burning bridges um, with casting, when someone is really just not being a team player, not respecting when you're going on vacation, you got to make those difficult decisions. And sometimes that's, I'm sorry, but we're not going to be able to work together. And I didn't, I didn't just go respond, you're fired. I wrote a very professional email, but you can't be afraid to do that if that's what needs to be done. You got to run it like you're the CEO. Well, right, because we call them our team for a reason, right? It is a collaboration. It is a business at the end of the day. And me too, I've had reps where I just got shelved. I didn't get opportunities to go out. And let me tell you, like, trying to sit there and hope for crumbs is is not great for anybody involved. You really need people who are going to go to bat for you and fight for you. And also when it comes to the bigger roles, um, they're not going to cast them tomorrow. And it's really okay to ask for another day if you really need it. Um, and for some of the co-stars that are man one, or I think I've been like pretty girl number two before, like I've realized now in hindsight, really good reps will actually get you a name for the role even if it's a couple lines. Yes. That's what they do. They negotiate. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we pay them for, for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The last thing I did where uh, it was, is this big movie coming out in September for Netflix. And um, I auditioned for one role and uh, they offered me a different and it didn't have a name. And, and my reps were like, we got to get a name. And they're like, great, she's Pat. And I was like, okay. 
<laughs> can we suggest one next time <laughs> um, they're like you'll be packed uh, my scene is with freaking Marilyn Monroe and I'm Pat uh, so <laughs> yeah it's interesting yeah Bayardo uh, did you ever do that like shift of like no more co-stars guest stars or recurring or series regs only yeah uh I've been agent number two, and then I was actually, the guy was agent number one. We were at lunch, and he's like, yeah, I got my reps to give me a name. It's Paul. And then I was, that was the first time I learned that you could do that. I was like, what the, what? But it's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, as I, I think in the beginning, it was just a matter of, like, I'll do anything. Like, what do you want me to work on? Yes, let's go. Um, and then as I booked kind of, like, my first guest star, second guest star, it just became a matter of, of, of uh yeah, let's kind of focus on this while I can um, in this moment. But it was it was also a it was a decision that I also made with my reps. I consulted them and I said, hey, this is how I feel right now. And then, you know, even if this means that the auditions are going to be a little less than before, you know, um, let's do it. It was a it's it's a matter of kind of just knowing your worth. And knowing at the time, like, yeah, this is what I'm about. This is what I want to do. I know the sacrifice is going to be like, I might not have as many auditions as I used to before. Um, but ultimately, it'll, you know, it's it's the decision you have to make in your career and your brand and what you're doing, you know, ultimately get there and knowing your worth. And then, and it happens, you know, um, but it always pays off in the end, because I think that in your reps may be saying like, oh yeah, they're not going to do, you know, the doctor roles anymore for co-stars are going to try to move on. I think it will gain garnish also that respect with casting that they, you know, what you want to do and what you, you know, where you're going now. That is it. It's kind of like taking one leap forward and a step or two back because you can then go months without uh, auditions, but it's, it's a huge leap forward. You have to think of it that way. Yeah, but with with what we do, it stands, you know, like we're we're ready. You're ready. You'll know when you're ready. You just you know, your preparation is there and you're ready and it's what you got. But it also changes the way that casting looks at you. And this is a business of perception. So once you start being like, you know, hey, you know, Haley, whatever your name is, is no longer doing co-stars or whatever, then it makes casting go. Oh, and then they start looking at you in a different way because people will look at you with the worth that you tell not that there's less worth in those roles but it changes the way they perceive you you know um there was one pilot season for this show i was on called selfie where they kept calling me in and i just didn't have time to do it so we just kept saying no 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 and finally they were like okay if Haley agrees to come in for this we will uh like give her a parking space like right by the stage she can come in literally whenever she has time. So it was like already like dark out. And I, they were like, I, my team was like, she's not even gonna have time to look at the size. They were like, that's okay. It can be a cold read and she will be the only tape that we showed to the network and the roles will make the role recurring for her. And so I was like, fine, I can't say no to that. So I <laughs> went when I could like late at night, I drove up literally right to the stage went in, read it off the paper and in the room, they were like, yeah, yeah, we're going to give you that. Like, they were like, thank you so much for doing this for us. And that's, it was because I said no so many times, you know? So once you're ready to make that leap, it is really important that you say that, tell that to your team. And then when you, when your team starts getting phone calls, asking about co-stars or whatever, that they let, that they let them know that they're no longer there. And it just changes everyone's perception. Oh my God. That is incredible. That is so incredible. 
I've never heard a story like that before, Haley. That's amazing. Um, uh, Bayardo, you had talked about working uh, like in class, like you work on it, you know your skill set. Um, uh, uh, just because I know you all through Stan Kirsch Studios, would you guys mind saying a tangible thing that you learned or gained from our studio? Um, I've been lucky enough to sort of see you all uh, come in and like, I'm just astounded with where you are now, but uh, like, yeah, the, the one of the things that I love about being a Stanker Studios is how positive uh, the community is. Um, a lot of the other acting studios that I've gone through and been at, sometimes I feel like it's all about them. My studio, did you buy my book? This is how I teach. This is what's going on. Whereas Stan Kirsch is about you, the actor. You're here. What's what's the best qualities you have? What do you feel like you need to work on? What are we going? Blah, blah, blah. Um, when I started with Stan, I thought comedy was like so foreign to me and like what I did not know what I was doing. And through class, you slowly start watching others, learning from others, watching other people's work, watching your own work, seeing what works, what doesn't. And then having more of a confidence and believing in your work and like, you know, also progressing and evolving as a human and as an actor. Um, the most recent thing I did, I'm, I'm going to recur on a show called Acapulco, which is a big comedy show. And I always would be like in class, like, I don't know if I could do comedy or whatever. But through my experiences in class, it's helped me grown as an actor. And now I'm, you know, now to the point where I have confidence. And even when I was working on that show, it's just like I would be ready to go in and, and do my work, be proud of my work. And then if there was, you know, <laughs> any redirects or other type of collaborations, I was ready for it, you know, as opposed to being intimidated and scared. I had that, you know, full confidence. And that all came through through class. Yeah, I think you've really found your version of funny and comedy over the years. Um, to the point where, like, the most recent stuff you've uh, done in class, like, okay, it's comedy, uh, you know, and here we go. <laughs> and everyone's just like, fucking mind is blown afterwards. Uh, I, yeah. I think the, the biggest thing I've learned too is, especially with comedy, is you make your choices, but also having that ability to play. Because a lot of times, as actors, even in callbacks, like, we rehearse it a certain way. And then if someone says, Hey, that didn't work. Try another one. I would self-implode and be like, oh, what do you mean it didn't work? Ah, you know, whereas now it's like, oh, that didn't work. Cool. Awesome. What do you think? What do you got? This is blah, blah, blah. And having that ability and that confidence is something that uh, I learned at Stance and, and have taken from it, which has been awesome. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> um, Stan Kerr's studio, like, I feel like I owe so much to Stan Kerr's studios. Like, I'm so grateful for just being a part of this community and having the not like the stuff that I've learned behind my belt. And I would say the biggest thing is like having a structure, like before, like once you have a structure in place with anything in your life, then you realize like, these are the bounds that I have to play with that I have to play within. But if you don't have that structure, then things are happening willy nilly. There's no surface underneath you. And you don't even realize that that's the case. And that's kind of when I, how I came into stands, like I had worked and I had a resume, but like, I just would be, I just still kind of like, didn't fully understand what I was doing. But once I learned like how to hone the structure, not only did it make me feel so much like safer, so much more safe and secure, like a warm blanket around me, but it also took me less time to prepare. Like, even though it still takes me time because I also learned from Stan's the importance of like being off book and being word for word and stuff. So I still put a lot of time into it, 
Um, but before I would be like, well, I don't know how to say this thing. Well, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, again, like there's a formula, like TV and films, writing scripts, they're formulaic. And so once you learn that formula and you kind of feel like, this is how, like, this is what I need to do to like make this joke land, then it becomes so much easier um, and so much more effective. And then it fits within the, 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 it, within the frame, the bodywork of the frame that you're uh, dealing with. And like, I really learned how to do comedy at Stanford Studios, which is like such a big blessing in my life because I love comedy so much. It not just as an, like, not just as like an actor, but like as a human being, like performing comedy, like makes my soul sing. Like it makes my heart soar. Like I love doing comedy so much. And when I started at Stans, I don't think I had that much comedy under my belt. Now people are like, oh, like people think of me for like big roles and big comedies. Like I'm a known comedy girl. And I'm like, and I really have Stans to, um, to thank for that. And by the way, when I came into Stan Kerr Studios, <laughs> I came with like such an attitude because I just felt like I didn't even want to be in an acting class, like, because I felt like I'd been in so many and whatever. And I remember Stan saying something like, you know, look at the like color palette of like the show and like dress to match the show. And like, I think I had just done like an episode of CSI Miami or something, which is like very bright and orange. And I was like, I did not do that for CSI Miami. And I looked at like, I had, I had such an attitude. And now I look back at all those things and I'm like, no, all this advice was a hundred percent right. But Stan like pulled me to the side. I think Kristen was there actually. And they were like, okay, do you like want to be here? Because I thought that I was being like, so like secretive in tune with my attitude or whatever. Kristen, do you remember? She just said, huh? okay. I thought that like my attitude that I like my judgment that I was having was like super internal, but apparently it was like really coming out. And I just love the honesty and transparency. Yeah. Kristen, Kristen says, yes. I love the honesty and transparency of the studio. They were, they were literally like in the room by the kitchen. They were like, okay, you have an attitude. <laughs> and so that kind of like snapped me out of like, my insane headspace and I was like let's just give this a go and then I like stayed in class for a hundred years exactly the no the no bullshit just like honest kind of pro kind of, and then now I do everything that I learned I definitely <laughs> get the color palette of the show and dress appropriately and learn my learn my lines and do my builds and my turns and my shrimmers and I have a whole career to think oh my gosh <laughs> Oh, that makes me so happy, Haley. So happy. Uh, Catherine, any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, same. I think uh, I learned how to do comedy because of this studio. Um, but then beyond it, I think it's the, like, you have to be prepared. And it just got drilled into me that you have to be not only 100% prepared, but like 120% prepared. So that when your nerves are acting up, when you know, you're like driving to your audition or maybe your internet's acting up and it's, it's a callback or whatever it is. Like your 120 does become a hundred and maybe even 80 and 80% is okay. But if you start at 80% prepared and you get nervous, then it dips down to, let's say 60 and 60% is not going to book you the job. And that really, really stuck with me. And I think going off of what Bayarda was saying earlier, 
I think it's so important to be prepared, but then also be able to throw away the work. Like I know for my chemistry read, even though I knew who my co-star was going to be, I actually ended up pulling three of my male actor friends because I didn't want to get stuck in the way that I was preparing. So my chem read was on a Monday afternoon and I pulled two on Sunday and I made it clear, like I literally just wanted to run this two, three times max because I also didn't want to overwork it. But I knew that the three actors I respected and thought were talented were going to give me different things so that I could still keep my material loose enough so that when I went in and probably got a fourth option, I wasn't going to be like, no, but I made these very specific choices and now you are not giving me the things to help me do them. Yeah. That is freaking brilliant, BT dubs. That is amazing. Amazing, amazing. Especially for a pen read, right? Like we don't think about these things. It's not like we just have the reader for the initial audition. It's like, you don't know in the callback what you're gonna get. You don't even know sometimes if it's just gonna be the casting director and they're gonna give you nothing or too much. For sure. That's freaking brilliant, Catherine. So brilliant. Yeah. Um, Matthew, have you learned anything or? Is it just like, gosh? Eh, <laughs> no, <Watch>. I, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I started working in, in 2016 and I, I mean, I had always worked like a little bit, but I started working a little bit more consistently in 2016. And that was after I was in the studio for two years. And uh, one of the things that the studio really like hammered down was, you know, knowing it word for word and respecting the language that the writers use the commas, the periods, the exclamation points. They put things in all cap because that's how they want it read. That's how they want it um, to sound. And I treat, you know, Stan would say, it's like Shakespeare. It's not like to be or maybe not to be. No, you, it, to be or not to be. And, and I started treating my, my scripts like it was sheet music. Like this is, this is what's on the page. There's no veering from that. And so whenever I look at a script, I always try to make a choice that honors all of the punctuation that they give. I'd never done that before. And I will only veer away from it if I can't come up with a way to say it that makes sense in my head. I'm like, eh, this isn't working for me. Maybe I got to maybe I got to put a put a period at the, at the end of this because I don't know how to how to read it this way. Um, so, yeah, respecting the language, respect, you know, assuming that every writer that writes it is brilliant and they had a reason to, to write it like that. Um, comedy. I didn't really understand comedy. You know, my idea of comedy, I was coming in and swinging off the rack rafters, making choices that were too big. And I learned how to really be a little bit more, um, not a little bit more, a lot more grounded um, using my strengths in drama and using those same strengths to, to attack comedy. No one's hiring me to be the quirky pizza delivery guy, but you know, maybe I'd, maybe I'd be the guy that, that, that jumps the, the quirky pizza delivery guy. And that, you know, <laughs> so if I'm going in for that audition, great. I could, I could just, I could just be myself and, and not worry. I don't have to try too hard. I could really just, if I'm getting this audition, I know how I probably am going to have to read it. And that's, and that's fine, leaning into your strengths. And then I think the other thing is, you know, I believe we are the, the sum of the five people that we spend the most time with. So when you're in class every single week with geniuses, you know, I'm, when I'm in class, when I was in class, I was in class with 
Colleen Foy, Jamie Renee Smith, who was also a teacher at the studio, David DeSantos, Adam Seckman, Nikki Toisson, Kate McDaniel, Catherine Tokars. And you start watching them work um, and you start making similar choices that they do. Stan taught us to steal. And I needed to hear that because I never went to theater school. So I never really learned how to like create a character on my own. So stealing became integral to me booking jobs. He taught us about um, Deborah Messing when she talked about um, uh, doing Will and Grace. She's like, I, I, I just stole from Lucille Ball. I was just Lucille Ball. I was, that, that was all I did. And I, I, like, I do that now. I'm always stealing either from, from friends you know, like I, when I would have a comedic script, I would start thinking, ah, how would Adam read this? How would Jamie read this? Or um, or an actor that I that I see on TV. I just went to a screening for for Yellow Jackets and Christina Ricci was talking about how she found her her. She plays like a serial killer in it. And she said that she was watching the show. Um, what was what's the show on Netflix about the serial killers? Mindhunter. She was watching Mindhunter. And there was this this guy that they go interview who was a prisoner who was in prison for for killing a lot of women and, and doing horrible things to their to their to their remains. But he delivered it in such a oh shucks kind of way. And it was like he was like a big baby, like a big teddy bear. And it's not supposed to be terrifying. And yes, yet it's terrifying. And she's like, that's how I'm going to read this role. I'm going to oh golly gee shucks. <laughs> and it's. It's great. If you watch Yellow Jackets, like her work is brilliant. And she just, she's gone on record and saying, yeah, I just stole from that guy on Mindhunter. Holy cow. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Jane, I just wanted to piggyback off that because it just reminded me another thing I learned at the studio is again, also just use everything you've got. So um, I think it's also really the first place where, because we have those days where you tape everything. And again, we are harshest critics. You're the only one that's going to be like, oh, why am I doing that thing with my eye? I didn't even know I did do that thing. Does everybody else know? <laughs> Nobody told me. Um, <laughs> I and, forgot to mention that. Yeah, same. Yeah. And I loved that because as I've gone on, like now more than ever, I think it's this strange thing where you have a very sterile and humane medium, this camera yes. that you're trying to be so human through. And so often I was told growing up, like, pretend it's not there, just pretend it's not there. But it is there. And because it's there, you can use it to your advantage in the way that you uh, like, like manipulate looks and you know, the way that you turn your face or your body. Like I remember even in like Stan Kirsch, like I remember for driving auditions, right? Like how we position the chair. It's just like all these very little things that you can use in the audition and also on set that can become so invaluable. Yeah. That kind of blew my mind. The, yeah. We still teach out. Um, uh, thank you guys so much. Um, uh, Matt, thank you so much for being part of my tribe. I love that we can uh, talk as friends outside of this and share auditions and I, I learn from you. Um, Bayardo, it is so exciting watching you do what you do. When you booked your series regular, I was like, okay, so finally something makes sense in this world. Um, and I can't wait for more Acapulco. I love watching people get to experience your art for real. Um, Haley, you are so soulful and wise. Everything you said today um, resonated so deeply. And I think the fact that you are willing to share that speaks volumes to your character. I'm going to get teary eyed. Um, 
thank you for being who you are and sharing it with the world. I can't wait until you are recognized in all your facets by everyone. Thank you. Um, thank you, Colleen. Yeah, and Catherine, not, but not, last but not least, having you in class uh, for years has just been such an exceptional thing for me to watch you grow. And this project, the company you keep, reading it and picturing you in the lead, nothing has ever seemed more perfect in the world. Um, as, as the imposter syndrome flares a little bit, know that I'm in your corner and all of us here on this Sim Chat and at the studio are as well. And can't wait to see you shine. Uh, th thank you all so much. Uh, appreciate you like crazy. And we'll all see each other soon, I'm sure. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. Love.